Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Nuggets Numbers. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Monday night, the night before the biggest game in this franchise's, not history, we won't go that far, it's not that big, but certainly in this era of the Denver Nuggets, this is the biggest game of the of the era by far. It's the biggest game of Nikola Jokic's career, of Jamal Murray's career of Michael Malone's tenure as a Nuggets coach. Lots of biggest. It's a really big opportunity for the Nuggets to have a chance to prove that they officially belong with the big boys. They are one of five teams left. The Milwaukee Bucks, they got eliminated. The Houston Rockets, they got eliminated. Those superstars, Giannis Antetokounmpo, James Harden, great players. Don't get me wrong. Flawed. Flawed teams as well. They're gone. They could have been here. A lot of people thought the Houston Rockets would give the Clipper or the Lakers, excuse me. A lot of people thought the Lakers would have some trouble with the Houston Rockets. As it turns out, Russell Westbrook really put a kibosh in those plans. He was awful for the Houston Rockets. Giannis was awful in his series against the Bucks. Or against the Heat. Pascal Siakam, another young guy. He was not very good against the Celtics. Actually, he was even more awful than Giannis was. They still managed to get it to seven because they have the heart of champions up in Toronto. But the Nuggets are the team that's still alive. They're one of five. The Celtics, the Heat, the Clippers, the Lakers, and the little old Nuggets. I want to spend the first segment talking about how we got here, how the Nuggets have gone on this roller coaster of an experience this year. 2020 has been insane. This has been an insane year to cover the Nuggets. Uh, I've done it for a few years. This was my first full year as site manager. And my Lord, has it been up and down in terms of uh, Kobe Bryant's passing, in terms of COVID-19 in terms of trying to cover the bubble, trying to evaluate all of these things in my first year as site manager. It's been it's been quite the experience. But let's talk about what happened, how we got here, and then in the future segments we'll talk about Game 7. Start with the regular season. Start with training camp. The big question surrounding training camp was Michael Porter Jr., the questions that he was bringing into this team, how he was extremely confident, 
but initially he said he just wanted to roll, like he he just wanted to show that he was a part of the team, get back onto the court, get comfortable. He had a lot of confidence in himself, and it's clear that from all of the rumblings that the Nuggets were very confident in Michael Porter Jr.'s talent level. Uh, the real question was whether he would be able to defend. Early in the year, that question was no. Uh, even now, that question is still a little bit questionable. But Michael Porter Jr., he's officially proven that he is an extreme talent. That he is one of the most talented young players in the game today and has the ability to swing the future of this franchise going forward. Jokic also started the year with questions about his weight, about his engagement level with the Nuggets. In October and November, he was getting criticized nonstop, some of it right, some of it wrong, for the game shape that he was playing at. Despite the fact that he had a couple of game winners during that stretch, despite the fact that he was still putting up 16, 10, and 5, that's what Bam Adebayo was putting up this year. And he's an all-star, just a, a really nice story, just a very, very impressive player. Jokic was doing that at his worst. Then he was demoralized by Anthony Davis on my birthday, December 3rd, um, 2019. He said post-game that he needed to be better, that he had to start focusing on getting out of the slump that he was in. And he did. He spent a lot of time. He spent a lot of time in the weight room getting himself right. He put himself in a good frame of mind. And it really paid off because the next stretch of his games, December onward, he was putting up some great numbers. It wasn't perfect. It wasn't postseason numbers like we're seeing now. But he was still great. About 22, 10, and 7 on elite efficiency, showing that he really was a superstar caliber player. Jamal Murray, he started the game through the year strong, but the middle of his season was poor. It was not the standard that he set for himself as a star. And it's very possible that when he turned his ankle, when he sprained his ankle against the Charlotte Hornets, a game in which P.J. Dozier had his breakout, Michael Porter Jr. had 17 points in a, in a quarter or something absurd like that. Um, it was pretty clear that Murray needed the break, that Murray needed some time to step away from things and understand, okay, what is happening here? What do I need to do to get better? How do I get myself back to the position that I can that I want to be and become a star? When he came back from his injury, he looked like a completely different player. Somebody who was more engaged, somebody who was doing the right things offensively, he was making good crisp decisions. He played 15 games before the Nuggets had to go into quarantine or how every NBA team had to go into quarantine basically and they shut down the season. And he looked like a star in those times, in those games. He was consistent. He was shooting the ball really well. I called it back then, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, but I thought he looked like a star and got a lot of brushback. And what he's currently doing in the bubble right now, it's right in line with what I thought he was going to do. Maybe even a little bit better than where I thought he was going to be. I've been very impressed with Jamal Murray. January was the month of Michael Porter Jr. He looked like a future star during that month. He was 
going at it, starting with Indiana on January 2nd. He made some incredible shots, was like 11 of 12 from the field, just did a bunch of incredible things on the floor, and looked like a guy who, despite all of the noise around him, despite the circumstances surrounding him, that he was going to figure it out and be a star. Nothing has really changed that. He's had a couple of ups and downs since then. He's had his playoff shortcomings. But even in the playoffs, he continues to look like a possible star. Somebody who can really break out. Maybe even be a superstar at some point. The Utah 7 happened. The Utah 7 was when we really started to see the resilience of this team. There was the Milwaukee game before that where they went into that game and nobody expected them to compete on a second night of a back-to-back where they flew in at 4 a.m. They were down a few starters in that game. It wasn't as impressive as the Utah 7, though. The Utah 7 was incredible. Denver was shorthanded because of injuries, because of the trade that they had just made of Malik Beasley and Wancho Hernan Gomez. Their replacements hadn't come back to Denver yet. And they went into that game with seven players, including P.J. Dozier and Vlatko Chanchar, and won against the Utah Jazz because uh, Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray are really good. That bore out in the playoffs, by the way. That was something that you could take from the regular season and say, when the going got tough, Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic proved that they were just as capable, maybe even more so, than Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert as a duo. They battled the Lakers before the All-Star break, going into overtime, pushing LeBron James and Anthony Davis to the absolute limit. LeBron, he was in playoff mode in that game. He had to work for everything, as hard as he's ever had to work for it, against the Denver Nuggets. And the Nuggets fought back. Jamal Murray was excellent in that game. I think he put up 30 points and 11 assists or something like that. Jokic was good, not great, but he was starting to figure some things out against Anthony Davis. One of the reasons why I want to see the Nuggets move on to the Western Conference Finals was I want to see what Jokic in his current playoff form looks like against Anthony Davis and the so-called vaunted L.A. Lakers defense. I want to see him prove it. I want to see him do what he has to do in order to make that work because he is capable. Then the All-Star break happens, and when they come out of the All-Star break, they look a little shaky. And then they play the Clippers on February 28th, and they get demoralized. They were written off as pretenders by everyone. Everyone. Nobody said that the Nuggets could still compete. They thought that the Nuggets had given the uh, the Clippers their best shot. They didn't, clearly. The Nuggets are in a seven-game series with them right now. And fighting. That was a real turning point to the minds for many national pundits. They circled that game as the first time to start really paying attention to the Nuggets. And the Nuggets disappointed them at that point. And they were written off. Everybody said, it's okay, they're a young team. Try again next year. They're not ready now. Well, they might be ready. Just saying. They were still going through a lull at that point. They lost to some worse teams down the stretch. They even 
were criticized for not caring enough about the regular season and the games that they were losing to sub-500 teams was a reason why they weren't going to win in the playoffs. Because clearly they weren't as focused in those games. Well, they're focused now. They were back and forth with the Clippers as a two-seed or a three-seed the entire year. They were supposed to be here. This was the next step in their progression. They won a first-round playoff series in 2018-19, and they lost in the second round to an inferior Portland team. They needed to right the ship, but this was different. The Utah Jazz this year, despite the fact that they didn't have Boyan Bogdanovich, still had the perfect formula with a bunch of quick, lightning-quick guards in Donovan Mitchell, Jordan Clarkson, Mike Conley, that they were going to be a problem for the Nuggets, combined with the fact that Rudy Gobert is probably the best role man in the league in terms of finishing at the rim. That team presented a lot of problems for the Nuggets. And when they went down 3-1 and were blitzed a little bit, that kind of changed the expectations for everybody. Even me, in Game 3 of that series, when the Nuggets really quit, it, it was unfathomable that a team with this much resilience throughout the year had quit in a Game 3. I was blown away. I didn't expect it. Game 4, they come back and try. They still lose. Jamal Murray puts up 50 in that game. Game 5, he puts up 42. They manage to win. They get some, they get some things figured out. Jeremy Grant does a good job on Donovan Mitchell. Game six, they get Gary Harris back, and you start to feel the tide really shift because finally the Nuggets have a quick guard in their rotation that's good on defense. That's really good. And, oh no, that might be really important against a team that has a bunch of quick guards. Might be important. Game seven, it's a rock fight. Could have gone either way. Torrey Craig nearly uh, lost that game for the Nuggets with a blown layup at the buzz or at the the closing seconds of the fourth quarter. If he makes that, the Nuggets win. If Jamal Murray doesn't pass it to him, the Nuggets win because Jamal Murray makes two free throws at that point. Um, it was bad. It was not. It was not a good situation for the Nuggets, but they ended up getting out of it because Game Sevens are weird. Everybody acknowledges that, but that series was a reason for many people to doubt what the Nuggets could do in the next round. I thought the Nuggets had the talent to win against the Clippers. I just thought that they were tired. That's the reason why I picked Clippers in six. I thought they would come out and not be explosive enough to keep up with the Clippers. They did lose the first game. That was a big reason why I thought that. But I still thought the Nuggets had the talent to compete in the other games. And lo and behold... Wow, they do. They bounce back. In the game since game one, they are three and two. They have played the Clippers even to possibly being the better team when they weren't trying to recover from a long playoff series. This was the next step in their development. They got bounced in the second round last year by an inferior team, and they are now competing with a championship contender this year. It's a big deal. Jamal Murray has taken a leap. Nikola Jokic has proven that he can take over in a second round series against Kawhi Leonard. 
The Nuggets have shown all of the resilience in the world. They went down 3-1, and they've come back twice. Let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about Game 7. We're going to talk about what to expect from what I think is going to be an ugly game that could go either way. We'll be right back. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And we're back. Nuggets numbers. Ryan Blackburn here. Game 7. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to talk about it. We're going to get into depth. Uh, there's not a ton to talk about, I think. We can go into some things. I want to share some of the numbers from the, the four stars and, and some of the stats from Montrez Harrell and guys like that that the Nuggets have been able to take advantage of through the first six games. Um, but first I want to talk about, yeah, let's talk about the stars. It's going to be an ugly game. And the four players that are going to take the most shots are going to take a lot of contested shots as well. Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray. The interesting thing about this series that I I don't think a lot of people took seriously prior to was that the Nuggets duo has played the Clippers duo basically even. Jokic and Kawhi, they've been pretty much even. Murray and George, they've been pretty much even. Though I think I would point slightly towards... LA after PG's last game. He looked really good last game. And if he continues having that momentum, then that could be a really big a big problem for the Nuggets if they can't stop him. Because the Clippers are going to do everything they can to stop Jamal Murray. They probably know that they can't stop Nikola Jokic. We're going to see what they throw at him. I'm interested in seeing it exactly. But let's look at these numbers real quick because I think they're fascinating. Points per game, ranked. Kawhi Leonard's first at 26. Nikola Jokic is second at 25.8. Paul George is third, 23.7. Jamal Murray is fourth at 19.7. He's definitely separate from those top three in terms of scoring this year, or in this series. And a lot of that is because of his true shooting percentage. He has had a really tough time getting off efficient shots. But he did find something in Game 6. He was driving relentlessly to the rim. Navigating the defense really well. And he shot 9 of 13 from the field. 1 of 2 from 3. Didn't settle for a lot of 3s. I hope he continues to hunt the 3. Especially when it's open. Because that is a really valuable shot for him. And for the other 3. Because despite the fact that Kawhi Leonard is a mid-range assassin. Despite the fact that Paul George likes to attack. Nikola Jokic likes to get to his spots. Those three, when they're hitting their outside shots, are really dangerous, and Jamal Murray is the same way. If he could hit two threes, three threes, in this game seven, that really swings the, the series. 
in, in Denver's favor, which I think is nuts. Murray has the best assist number, the best turnover number in terms of limiting them. Uh, obviously the best assist to turnover ratio in that stretch. He has been really good making decisions with the ball. Nikola Jokic has had some high turnover games, but he's also dominating the glass. He's averaging 12 a game. 12 rebounds. You expect that from a big. But especially Jokic, when he's rebounding the game, when he's rebounding in a game, he's extremely engaged. He's doing it extremely well. That's one of the things that's very constant with him in Game 7s, is that he actually has great rebounding performances. Let's talk about the history of Game 7s between these four. Jokic has had three Game 7s, all of them with the Nuggets. He's 2-1. and one. All three have been great performances. The first one wasn't an elite shooting performance, but he had a triple-double. He had 10 assists, he had 15 rebounds, limited his mistakes, uh, got the Nuggets out to a good start, and then made the shots and made the plays when it counted. Against the Blazers, same thing. Made a lot of great plays. He was one of the only one who could. Um, it's a big deal. He went up against Rudy Gobert this past year, or this past series. 30 points, 14 rebounds, 4 assists. Made the game-winning shot. Kawhi Leonard has a game-winner in, in his arsenal, too. And it's pretty high-profile, if you don't know. But he, Jokic, has outplayed he... Kawhi in Game 7's overall. And I think that's important to note. Jokic has a lot of experience in this situation. Kawhi, he took 39 shots to get 43 points in his Game 7 with Toronto last year. He did make the shot that counted, and that's a big part in deciding the narrative. But it just doesn't matter, because he made the shot. He has the capability of doing that again in this series. No mistake there. Jamal Murray, he has also had three games with the Nuggets, of course. Two and one record. He's had one good game and two bad ones. His first game seven against the Spurs actually was a really good performance. Limited the turnovers. Was a good playmaker. Made an important shot when it counted. Stayed pretty efficient. efficient, And I thought he looked very poised in that game. Did not have a good game against the Blazers. He was 4 of 18 in that game. His game against the Jazz might have been better had he not taken a knee from Joe Ingles. Despite that fact, he finished 7 of 21. So we're going to count that as a bad game. I still think he has a really good game 7 in him. If he dropped 25, which he's very capable of doing, that changes the series. Obviously. If he hit three threes, four threes, it's a big deal. If he limits the turnovers in this one, it's a big deal. He could be the deciding factor for sure. And then Paul George has also played three games, three game sevens, all with Indiana. He's a one and two record. One of those was great. One of them was average and one was awful. The awful one was seven years ago, so it's hard to really account for that, and it was against LeBron James in Miami, so take that with a grain of salt. 
The other two were slightly more recent, but still in Indiana, of course. So they're they're pretty far away. And he was great in one of them, fine in another. So like one and two record. Uh, you don't know if you're gonna what you're gonna get from PG. I genuinely believe that. He hasn't been great in the playoffs these past couple seasons. He had a really great game in game six on Sunday. It's very possible that he could just come out and have a great game seven. That would really change the tide in favor of the Clippers. I expect Kawhi and Paul and I expect Jokic and Kawhi, excuse me, to be great. Not sure what to expect from Murray and Paul George, but if Murray comes to play and Paul George doesn't, then that swings things in Denver's advantage a lot. And vice versa is also true. Let's talk about the role players real quick. Lou Williams, Marcus Morris, I think they're each capable of swinging this game. If they go for 20-plus, either of them, then I think that really changes things. If they shoot 40% from three, Denver's in big trouble there. A big shooting performance could really change this because Game 7s in their nature are just a rock fight with the opposing teams throwing defense at each other consistently. Everybody's playing hard. Everybody's exhausted. The execution on the offensive end is very tough to come by. If Lou Williams and Marcus Morris bring it, that's a big change. Lou Williams has not been good in Game 7s before. He's not been good at the ends of playoff series before. He could obviously change that, but Denver has to lock in on him. If they make sure that he has an inefficient night, that changes things drastically. Same thing with Marcus Morris. If Michael Porter Jr. is going to be out on the floor, he's going to be guarding Marcus Morris a lot. So, that's a big turning point. Marcus Morris could have 15 on Michael Porter Jr. by himself. Or... You could have three against Michael Porter Jr. Because Michael Porter Jr. has actually turned into a solid defender in this series. That's been pretty cool to see. On Denver's side, Gary Harris and Michael Porter Jr. are also capable of going for 20-plus. Gary had 16 this past game. Michael Porter Jr. had 13. They may not get enough shot attempts to get to 20-plus. But if they stay efficient in the shot attempts that they do get... That's a really big win for Denver because both of those guys are going to be on the floor. Gary Harris is going to be out there to defend whether it's Lou Williams, whether it's Paul George, whether it's Kawhi Leonard. He's going to be switching onto all three. He's going to have to be flying around out there. So if he, if he can hit some shots, that's a big deal. But then Porter's the really big wild card here because we just don't know how he's going to perform. He was so up and down in Denver's first game seven. Very wild airballed a bunch of shots, but he made some shots too. Um, When he plays with confidence, when he plays with poise, he can make anything. He really can. When he gets into his own head, when he gets a little bit wild in the moment, that changes things. So we'll see what version of Michael Porter Jr. we get in this upcoming series. I'm going to call my shot for tomorrow. Here are three role players that I think are going to make game-winning plays for the Nuggets in a Nuggets win. Jeremy Grant. Jeremy Grant's shooting has been bad in this bubble. Not in the bubble, but in, in this series in general. He started off really well, but...
but in the in the game since he only shot well in game five, I'm pretty sure, and he was two of five from from three. That's not great. Like it's it's good. It's a good performance, but it's not like a a wild performance. I think he hits a couple threes. I think he makes some good shots. I think he makes some good decisions. Maybe they hit him in transition a couple of times. I really do think that he's going to have a 10-plus point game, couple threes, couple runouts, maybe a dunk in the half court or something. He's going to be good. Torrey Craig is another one. I trust Torrey Craig, and I didn't think I was going to say that, but his performance in Game 6 really sold me. He has the capability when locking in to hit outside shots. He might not. He's up and down in that regard, but he's a big swing player in terms of if he hits a shot, it's backbreaking to the Clippers. If he misses a shot, usually it's wide open and it's backbreaking to the Nuggets because they know how much relies upon Torrey Craig being efficient from game to game. If he can make a shot or two, that's a big deal. And his defense against Kawhi last last game, really, really good. If he could stay on the floor, make some plays, maybe get into the short corner, get some offensive rebounds, stuff like that, I think he could be a, a game-winning player. And then Monte Morris is another one. I really do think that he's in line for maybe another 10-plus point performance like he had this past game. Uh, he had four assists, no turnovers. If he could stay like that, if if the only guy that's going to defend him is Landry Shamit or Lou Williams or somebody like that, then he has the capability to get to his spots, make sure that he's contributing to the offense, making sure that the ball is flowing. And I really do think that if he could hit some of those mid-range shots that he was struggling with early in the series, that changes the complexion of things for Denver. Maybe he hits an outside shot or two as well. He hit one this past game, and that was really big. I think he's capable of doing it again. Like I said, my prediction is Denver wins. I think that they have the better team. I think that Jokic has proven himself equal to Kawhi. And I think he's going to do it again. I think that Jamal Murray has risen to the occasion before. I think he will rise to the occasion again against Paul George. And I do think that the Nuggets' depth, despite the fact that it's less heralded, is actually better than what the Clippers are dealing with. Because Michael Porter Jr. and Gary Harris have proven they could stay on the floor. Jeremy Grant and Torrey Craig have kind of split time in terms of being on the floor, making plays. Paul Millsap has had his moments. At some times, he's not looking great, but this series, he's looking a lot better than he was last series. And he's capable of hitting another three threes especially if he's open. Monte Morris is settling into a rhythm. Mason Plumley's giving good energy when he's out there. There's just a lot to like about this Nuggets rotation, and there are a lot of questions right now about the Clippers. Are the Nuggets going to target Lou Williams every single day, every single time he's on the floor? I think they are. Can Montrez Harrell play? Is Landry Shamit going to make shots? Is Patrick Beverly going to stay out of foul trouble? There are a lot of questions about this Clippers team. It can't just be Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. It has to be other guys for them. They have to get other people involved. The Nuggets have got other people involved on both ends of the floor. I think they do it again. I think the Nuggets win. I think it's going to be close. 
It's going to be a low-scoring game. I hope that it doesn't come down to a game-winning shot. But if it does, I trust Nikola Jokic. I hope everybody else trusts Nikola Jokic, too. Let's take another break. Last segment. When we come back, we're going to talk about what happens if they lose, what happens if they win. We're going to focus more on if they win because I think that's more fun. We'll be right back. back. Nuggets numbers, Ryan Blackburn here. Final segment. We're going to talk about what happens if they lose, because it's definitely not as dire anymore as it would have been had they lost to the Utah Jazz. If they lose to the Jazz, it's an abject failure. If they lose to the Clippers, it's not an abject failure. They may lose some respect, some of the, the credit that they've built up with national folks over the course of these last couple days. But they will remain a cute story. They're not going to get any credit for forcing a Game 7. Despite the fact that they already came down from 3-1 once, and they forced a Game 7 twice. If they lose it, they go right back to, uh, the Clippers were just playing with their food. They were, they were toying with the inferior team. Jokic and Murray will be acknowledged for what they've done, but they won't really get their due. Jokic will still be a guy that people have questions with at the highest level, especially if he doesn't perform at the snuff in Game 7. I think he will, so I don't think that's going to be an issue. But what if Murray doesn't? What if Murray, for the fourth straight time, or third straight time, he was good in San Antonio, or against San Antonio in Game 7 last year. What if Murray doesn't come to play? That's something that national pundits could definitely use against the Nuggets. That, hey, Jamal Murray was 4 of 18 against the Blazers. He was 7 of 21 against the Utah Jazz. Can he handle it? That's a real question that will be asked. Despite the fact that he's still playing against the best perimeter defense that I've seen in a long time. Kawhi Leonard is still out there. Paul George is still out there. Patrick Beverly made all defensive team. Those guys are really good. They're really, really talented. But Jamal Murray's really, really talented too. He should be acknowledged for what he did. He should be acknowledged for being this good against a defense that is this good. The Nuggets will feel pretty good about their journey, and they should. But they're going to start preparing for the offseason. There will be a lot of questions People will start getting invested in the draft again, and we'll, we'll at Denver Stiffs, we will talk about how the Nuggets take the next step, how they make the next move, and Jokic, Murray, and Porter, how can we put them in position to really thrive next year? Because it may, it may be a situation where the Nuggets just need another guy that can show up in a Game 7. Maybe Jokic and Murray show up, but nobody else does, and that could be an issue. But what happens if they win? I will be insufferable for one thing if they win, because it will be so funny just to listen to all of the dialogue and the discourse about a Nuggets team that people counted out on consistent basis. They went down 3-1 against the Jazz. People were right to count them out at that point. Only 11 teams had come back from game se- or from 3-1 before that. The Nuggets became the 12th. They went down against the Clippers 3-1. 
it seems that they love being down 3-1 because their backs are against the wall, and they're one of the most resilient teams I've ever seen. They came back to force a Game 7, and if they validate all of this with a win, the Nuggets will have validated a lot of my belief about them and force others to reevaluate their own preconceived notions about who the Nuggets are. Jokic will be elevated into that superstar tier. Undoubtedly, there is no doubt he would have gone up against Kawhi Leonard and won. Nobody can take that away from him. It doesn't matter if it came in a bubble. This is basketball. All they're doing in the bubble is playing basketball. The Clippers should be built for that. The Nuggets are in a great position that if Den- uh, if they win, Jokic is going to be elevated into that tier as a guy who deserves to be there, who has gone through trifles and tribulations and criticism and unfounded expectations and all of this awful discourse about a superstar who just comes to work, just wants to play, is extremely unassuming, doesn't have any drama, and just continues to grind and play the game the right way and makes big plays when he needs to. Nobody can take that away from him. The Jamal Murray coronation could begin. And I can continue saying I told you so to almost everyone. There was a lot of reason to believe that Jamal Murray was going to break out in this bubble. That he was going to showcase his skill. I said that he would do so. Gary Harris and Will Barton being out was one of the main reasons why. Given the fact that Denver doesn't have additional perimeter creation, a cup, both of those guys can sometimes be a cushion for what Jamal Murray has to do on a consistent basis with this team. When you're getting the best defensive player on your team, on the opposing team, coming at you every single time, sometimes the easiest thing to do is move him off ball and put it in Will Barton's hands. That's great in the regular season. Don't get me wrong. But Murray had to do this in the playoffs. He had to figure things out. He had to find a way, dig deep, against all of the odds. Put himself into a really good position to break out, to create his own shot, to really elevate his game. He's in the star category now. He became a star in the bubble based off of what he did in the Utah series and how he's bounced back against one of the best perimeter defenses in the game. Another strong performance to advance over a championship favorite? That would be a big deal. He's going up toe-to-toe against these guys. He's getting Kawhi Leonard on a consistent basis against him. Paul George, Patrick Beverly, guys that we credit as some of the best perimeter defenders in our game today. Jamal Murray, 23-year-old, not an all-star yet. He will be. I think he's proving that. And if they do win, they move on to face the Los Angeles Lakers with LeBron, Anthony Davis. I have no idea how they will do in that se- how they would do in that series if they're lucky enough to get there. But it doesn't really matter. We can talk about that another time. Let's let's wait to see if it actually happens first because I do have a lot of confidence in this team heading into this game 7. Don't get me wrong. 
But Game 7's anything can happen. It's a 50-50 coin flip. Matt Moore says this all the time, and it's really true. That despite the momentum and despite the things that Denver is putting to the table, despite all of the pressure that is on the Clippers, they still have Kawhi Leonard. He has time to prove he's the best player in the series. He very much could do that. But this is the fun part. This is the fun part. We get to talk about what happens if they do do it. If Denver does make it happen. Because they are awesome. If the Nuggets do win, they will have validated themselves as contenders. The Clippers were the championship frontrunner. They were the betting favorite for much of the year. They are one of the five teams left standing, including the Clippers, including the Heat and the Celtics in the, in the Eastern Conference, who they had some easy, easy rounds, didn't they? Toronto, Milwaukee, there's a lot of reasons to call that team frauds, those teams. Denver Stars, no, they're, they're not backing down. The Nuggets, they're not frauds, not this year. They're giving the championship front runners everything they can handle. That has to count for something. If the Nuggets do win tomorrow, it's, it's okay to crow about it, because nobody believed in them. Nobody but the Nuggets and Nuggets fans. And even Nuggets fans had their doubts. I had my doubts at various points. But they've won me back over. Criticisms of Denver were frauds. Pretenders. Soft. Not clutch. Need a closer. None of that matters. None of that noise makes a difference. If Denver wins tomorrow, everybody can shove it at that point. Because what we're seeing right now is truly something special. Truly something that I have not seen before. Nobody in basketball has seen this before. If the Nuggets pull this off, it will be about them. It is about them. Make it about them. They are a good team. And if they do win, they'll give the Lakers all the hell they can get in the next round. That's going to do it for this episode of Nuggets Numbers. Thank you for tuning in. We will be reacting after game seven whether the nuggets are still going or whether their season is over we don't really care obviously we do care but we will be reacting to it regardless thank you so much for listening to this episode make sure to leave a review subscribe uh, apple Podcasts. I, I would be super super happy if you did we've put in a lot of work on this on this platform and i really do think that we're doing something special here just like the nuggets are doing in the bubble right now so Keep it tuned into Denver Stiffs. We'll have a lot of content out over the course of the next few days, no matter what happens. And anything can happen, which is why this is truly special. Thanks for tuning in. Talk to you guys tomorrow.